This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Think about it. They knew about the system. They knew about the laws, Levitical laws, the Passover. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them, he says, don't go back to the system. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the substance of these things we've been practicing. We've been doing uh, those ceremonies, the, the, you know, the sacrifice of animals. That was just a picture of Christ. He is here now. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah. When we face challenges, we often find ourselves wishing for the days when things were easier. Whether it's stress at work, church, or in your family, it's easy to find yourself wanting to go back. The Israelites wanted to go back to their captors, Egypt. Here in Hebrews, the believers found themselves wanting to go back to the Old Testament rituals. Today, Pastor Eddie encourages you, don't go back. Don't choose the good things of the past over the best things ahead. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Danger of Falling Away. Let us open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 4 to 6. The writer of Hebrews writes this, For it is impossible for those that were once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. And just a few things about this passage that we're about to study this morning. Number one, it is the third warning of a series of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews have five warnings. We already saw two of them. This is the third warning and is the warning of falling away. We saw the first warning and that's in chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. That is the warning of drifting away. The second warning, the heart of unbelief, and that's in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. This morning, we're going to look at those who have fallen away. Now, the second thing about this passage, this passage before is the most controversial, the most difficult passage in the entire New Testament. And that is because it touches a lot of theological issues that are a concern for the believer in Christ. There have been great debates, discussion, divisions among many prominent scholars who have different views about this passage and how to interpret it. And if you include the fact that there are many liberal scholars that we are unaware of and we need to be careful, liberal scholars who don't believe in the inerrancy of the word of God, we need to be careful. And so we're immature, you know, you're not going to understand. So it's important that we understand the passage before us because... This is a passage that's going to be, it's difficult for those who are 
I would say average Christian, if there's such a word, that, that really study, that study the word. But it's going to be difficult for those who are new in Christ, and especially those who are immature. I can tell you the story of a man a while ago, uh, years ago, who came up to me and said, Pastor Eddie, I need to talk with you. And obviously, he seemed that he was concerned, he was troubled. And so I met with him the next day. And when the time came for me to meet with him, he came into my office, sat across my desk, opened his Bible to this passage we're about to study, read the passage, then closed the Bible, put it alongside him. He put his head over his hand and said, I'm done. Because he actually did not understand what this passage was all about. And Satan loves to use, listen, the devil knows about the Bible 10 times more than all of us put together. He knows the word of God. He knows about those difficult passages. He knows the passage is going to bring division among people. What happened in the very beginning of the garden? You know, saying a question, uh, Eve, he said, did God say? Number one, right? Remember when Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, the enemy, uh, you know, saying, uh, said, you know, you know, if you throw yourself off, you know, he's quoting the scripture in Psalms, but he actually misquoted the, the passage. And so, he will use something like this to discourage believers. However, after I spent time with him, I read the passage, went over it, looked at other passages of the Bible. Praise the Lord, he was at peace. And I pray that we, as we study this this morning, will be at peace. So those are two things about this passage. Now, I want to give you a few things before we move on so we can have an understand a big picture. Because if we go in this and we forget the big picture, then that may affect how you may see this passage. Remember, the book of Hebrews is written by a, very good, I only got the front row, a, you get a star. <laughs> it's right. I, I wanted participation when I went like this. Okay. Good. <laughs> the book of Hebrews is written by a four Christian Hebrews. Very good. It's, it's the book of Hebrews written by a Hebrew, written for Christians. So you need to have that in the back of your head. And so he's writing to Christian believers who have found their faith in Yeshua as the Mashiach. They found out that Jesus is the Messiah that has been prophesied in the Old Testament of the Tanakh, over 300 Messianic prophecies. And so they're going through intense persecution, you know, and sadly, many of them, I believe many, I can't say, but I believe many because this is the reason why the Holy Spirit inspired this letter. Many were going back to the temple, back to the high priest, back to the sacrificing of animals, to the Levitical law, to the ceremonial law, to the dietary law, to circumcision. They were probably circumcised already, but the point is they were trying to go back because the persecution so he's writing to them as Jewish believers. And so he's encouraging them that, hey, the Jesus Christ that we serve, he is the Mashiach, he's the Messiah. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's the, he's the better rest, and he's the better high priest, the great high priest. Another thing for you, you students who are really intense into studying, look at the pronouns. There's a pronoun shift in this passage, a pronoun shift in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 6, in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 6, the first three verses, the pronouns are, the plural pronouns are like this, let us and we, uh, the writers including himself, we, he's not speaking French, he's not on a fast ride on a camel, 
we, he's including himself, okay? That's in verses 1 and 2. Then when he gets from verses 4 to 8, it, it changes the pronouns to those, they, them, themselves. He's not including himself. Interestingly, he included himself with the other warnings, you know, the drifting away, because humble man, he realized, hey, I have feet of clay, I can fall. The unbelief, you know, if I drift away later on, it could lead to that. So he includes himself because he's writing to the readers, you know. But here he doesn't include himself out of the five warnings. This is the one he doesn't include himself. We're going to see why. Then, again, so it goes in verse, verses 1 to 3. Let us, we, it shifts to those, they, them, themselves in verses 4 to 8. And then when you get to verses 9 and 12, it goes back to we. And he includes himself. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But importantly, when we look at a passage like this or any passage in the Bible, we must do the best we can, the best we can to let the scripture speak for themselves rather than to conform it into to fit some system of theology. We need to keep it in context. We need to include the background. We need to include the previous verses, the verses after. If you, if you can, the other chapters before, chapters after. He brings it all together. And so, with that said, we read the passage. Let's read it again, okay? So now that you have that in the back of your mind, let's look at verses 4 to 6. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come if they fall away. To renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now let us look at this. I want to give you four major views on this text. There are four major views. Okay? Number one, it's hypothetical. As if they speak with hyperbole. And that's that's the first view. Okay, well, let's look at that. And this view is interpreting the whole passage based on the word if. If in verse 6. So let's read it again. And I'm just going to put more emphasis on if. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. So they say if, hypothetically speaking, if a Christian loses his or her salvation, and I'm going to talk about that losing salvation cliche and later on, um, if they lose his or her salvation, that's if, that then there is no possibility for them to renew them again to repentance. That is the first view, okay? However, there's a problem with that view for two reasons. Number one, I don't believe that the writer of Hebrew would take something so serious, so sacred as the work of Christ on the cross, salvation as hypothetical. Okay, or speaking with hyperbole. We're talking about Jews who took this seriously. Well, they may not take it, it may have been a ritual for them. But this has been a practice in Judaism for thousands of years. The sacrifice of lamb in the fear of God. Okay, and then now we're going to speak hypothetically. I I don't think he would do that. Uh, I don't see that in the entire book, him speaking hypothetically in in a sense of a serious issue uh, like salvation and the cross. 
Okay, that's the first thing. The second problem with this is that it is an interpretation based off the word if, if. So there's a problem there too, because the word if is not in the original text. So you can't base it off a word that's not there. Okay, that's the first view. If you want to fall for that view, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Second view <laughs> is referring to non-believers or those who profess to be Christians but are not really saved. Non-believers, those who profess to be Christians but are not really saved. However, that doesn't fit because we can actually see that this person, number one, was once enlightened. Number two, they have tasted the heavenly gift. Number three, they have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Number four, they have tasted the good word and of God and power of this of the age to come. Now, the word taste here, you know, they use the word taste as to prove an argument without actually interpreting the word and looking how the writer uses the word taste in the rest of the book. Uh, so they, they would say, well, you know, they only tasted the word. They only tasted salvation. They didn't really eat it, eat it, chew it, or digest it, if you will. So that's their defense. However, he used the same word taste. For example, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we study this. It said, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Question. When Jesus went to the cross, did he have a little scratch or a little bruise? No, he died. He gave up his spirit. He was buried, rose the third day. He died. He tasted death for us. And so the work of the cross is complete. It's satisfying because he tasted death. It wasn't something difficult. Something you may say it's, in, you know, it's impossible. It, it wasn't difficult. So the word taste, the word taste in the Greek is gunome, and it means to partake to experience it is the same word so based off the description here you know we can see that they were saved if they're going to use the word taste as a defense that they weren't that's not a good way of interpreting the scripture again we need to look at the word we need to read it in context we need to see how the word is used elsewhere that's the second view the third view it's about the lack of Christian maturity, the lack of Christian maturity. Now, this view connects the previous verses, which is a good thing. It's a good practice, right? When you read something, you study something, context, 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 right? Like in real estate, location, 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 context. Read it in context. Read, again, uh, I gave you the, the, the system how to study the acronym BAM, right? B-A-M. Read the verses before. Read the verses after. And then go back to the middle of that that part where you're having difficulty so that's the best way to study so i can see, i appreciate the fact that in this view they're connecting the previous verses so from chapter 5 verse 12 from chapter 6 verse 3 talking about maturity those who are dull of hearing those who are unable to teach unskilled and, dis- un- and, and unable to discern we'll look at the third views and that they're immature so you know they're most likely at least they're probably backsliding you know, they could backslide or they're in a backslidden state, but that's what they say. They're backsliding. They're immature. So it is impossible for them to be renewed from that state. 
I don't find that scripturally because, you know, that we use the word backslidden. If you haven't heard that in the body of Christ, it's one of those things that we use. It says backs to backslide, to be in a backslidden state. In the, in the Christian context, it implies moving away from Christ instead of moving forward towards Christ. It's mentioned in the Old Testament 17 times, by the way, so it's not like a cliche that's created or invented, uh, but it is something that can happen. You know, we can backslide. So it's speaking about those who are spiritually going the wrong way, uh, regressing rather than progressing in their relationship with Christ. And there is a danger there. However, we do back, it's, the Christians do backslide. It doesn't mean they're no longer saved. It doesn't mean they're no longer believers in Christ. How many of us have been there where we have been just sliding back? Sometimes you don't even know, based on the definition, really, a lot of us backslide and we don't even know it. Because we're not progressing. We're not growing in our faith in the Lord. And so, you know, that, that could be a problem. And, but that's that view. It's kind of connecting that with this here. And I don't see that because we do have good news. If, we, if we're backsliding, we could forward slide, right? We could always get back to the Lord. And that's the good thing about the Lord. He is merciful. He's graceful. We could always repent where we are right now and get back with the Lord. Not that we lose our salvation, but that we haven't been in fellowship. We have been drifting away, if you will. Remember the first warning, the second warning. And what happens is we could always go back. Proverbs 24, verse 16, says this. For a righteous man may fall seven times. Notice it's righteous, but righteous men do fall. We all fall. Seven times and arise again. But the wicked shall fall by calamity. Hosea chapter 14, verse 4, the Lord said, I will heal their backsliding. He's merciful. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from him. And so you see, God is merciful. He understands. And that's the good thing about having a relationship with Christ. So it is not impossible for them to repent, to get back right with God. You know, we see that when Jesus gave the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, as we know it, in Luke chapter 15. It's a beautiful story. The son goes and he spends all he has and he realizes, you know what? My father was so good to me. Why did I leave? Because of the flesh, because of the fame, the fortune, because of the world. And he comes and his father met him halfway. He ran to him halfway. You know, the Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You know, quite often we think when we fall and we drift away that we have to do all these things. We got to make up. Well, how much did you sin? Well, that's how much you got to make up for it. No, that's works. I repent, Lord. I messed up last week, the whole month, the whole year. Lord, forgive me. Hey, we're back on the saddle. Let's, get, let's move on from here. And that's the grace of God. Now, that's the third view. The fourth view is referring to those who were saved but fell away. Fell away. It's talking about Christians who leave their faith. Look at verse 6 again. It says, if they fall away, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Okay? There is a difference to fall and to fall away. How many of us fall all the time? We just read Proverbs 24, right? Well, we blow it all the time. I don't know about you. How many is perfect? Okay, good. Because if you, you raise your hand, I was going to lay hands on you. I have some oil here. <laughs> and baptize you all at once. <laughs> but, you know, we all fail. We all fall. But 
to fall away is something different. In the context and when we look at this word, falling away is different. The words falling away is one word in the Greek. It's parapetos. And it means to fall out, to deviate from the right path. Okay? And what makes it so serious that they can't be renewed? Well, it's impossible because there's only one way, and it's Christ. And if you reject that, later on, the Hebrew said, what well, we study is, how can we neglect so great a salvation? How can we neglect so great a salvation? Remember, it's a Hebrew writing to Hebrews, Jewish believers, and they're suffering persecution. We got to keep this in context. They follow the ceremonial laws. At this point, we could tell that the t- temple is still standing. It's probably before 70 AD when it was destroyed. And so they've been persecuted and they think, yeah, I need to go back. I, I got, I, you know, I, I'm tired of this. This is too much for me. Uh, being a Christian, you know, I mean, we don't understand what it means to be a Christian today in America, in the West, but in the East, it's very difficult, much more so in the very beginning during the early church. They suffered, they died for the Bible we have in our hands. We don't know what persecution is all about. I don't think we even taste it, the Greek word, taste what persecution is all about. They're dealing with intense persecution. They've been ostracized from the family. They can't buy or sell from anyone. Nobody wants to do a business with them. You know, many of them have been hurt. Many of them have been killed. Christians have been persecuted. And they say, this is too much. And then they're probably looking at the temple. They say, I need to go back. I need to go back. All that they have learned you know, think about it. They knew about the system. They knew about the laws, Levitical laws, the Passover. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them, is says, don't go back to the system. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the substance of these things we've been practicing. We've been doing uh, those ceremonies, the, the, you know, the sacrifice of animals. That was just a picture of Christ. He is here now. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, 17, he says this, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of is of Christ. I think it will be helpful if we look at the beginning of verse 4 and Verse 6, I'm not chopping up scripture, but what I'm trying to say, we already know that they're Christians, right? Let's go over that, right? It says they were once enlightened. In other words, they had the light come upon them, the light of Christ, Ephesians 5, 8, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, 1 Peter 2, 9. They've been enlightened, right? And they have tasted the heavenly gift. In other words, they have experienced that which have been taken, they have taken in themselves. They've experienced this. And this is really important. The third one, they have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. That's big right there. That shows that they are believers. They have received Christ. Holy Spirit, which in their hearts, is the Holy Spirit given to unbelievers? No, no. It's not given. It's given to those who accepted Jesus Christ, repented, and now they receive Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit in their hearts. I'm running the You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie's been digging into the book of Hebrews in a series called Jesus is Better. This book touches on so many amazing things, but really ties in the Old Testament covenant with the new. The author mentions the importance of the high priest and the sacrifices that were made. 
But the point is that Jesus became the high priest and also the sacrificial lamb for all people. Isn't it amazing how Jesus fulfilled all that was in the Old Testament? It's because Jesus became the high priest that now we can go to him for our strength, our courage, and our hope. Another way to come to God is in prayer. Jessica wants to tell you more about this. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program. And we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. While you're there, you can find all sorts of information about Calvary Chapel of Milford. And if you're in the area, we'd love to have you come visit on a Sunday morning. You'll find service times and directions on our website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks for listening to Running the Race.